Thank you for coming. Uh, tonight we have a very special speaker. Uh, he is the lead pastor, co-lead pastor of New Philadelphia Church uh, with Pastor Aaron Lee. So his name is Pastor Christian. He's going to come up and deliver the word of God tonight. Let's welcome him up. All right, good evening, everyone. Why don't we take our, our Bibles and let's look at Psalm 37. Let's look at Psalm 37. Welcome to the joint prayer meeting. You know, this joint prayer meeting is not just about getting people to attend a prayer meeting. This joint prayer meeting is part of a bigger movement of what God is doing right now on the earth. Uh, and this prayer movement is connected, especially with what God is wanting to do in this peninsula, in South Korea uh, and in North Korea. And so the focus of these prayer meetings has been to pray and to partner with God and to gain his heart and perspective on what he's doing in this nation to bring reunification, to bring healing, freedom for North Korea. We're part of a bigger movement. And that's what this prayer meeting is really about. If you think it's just about attending a prayer meeting, I mean, there's a lot of prayer meetings you can attend. You can go to some, uh, some other prayer meeting. But if you want to come out every single month, you got to understand you're part of a bigger movement. God is not only accomplishing a checklist of, oh, I, I got my people to come out and pray each month. He's actually trying to change you in the place of intercession. As you behold what's on his heart, you become that which who he wants you to be to accomplish the purposes. And just the way you behave, the way you work, the way you relate to people is going to radically change as you gain his perspective and heart. And so I want everyone to understand that this is part of more than just a prayer meeting. This is a movement. It's a movement of what God is doing for this entire nation. Now, we might be small here. Like I always say, you know, you want to know how popular, you know, a praise team is. You know, you just go to the worship concert. You want to see how popular a guest speaker is. You know, you go to the, the, the revival service or the conference. But if you really want to know how popular Jesus is, just show up to the prayer meeting. You don't got a, you know, some celebrity praise band. You don't have some eloquent speaker at a prayer meeting. We just have Jesus. In fact, I'm not even going to preach tonight. We're just going to have Jesus. We're just going to gaze on his face and pray all night. We should. But I got a good word for you, so I'm going to share this first. <coughs> Part of a bigger movement. Get that down into your system if you plan to keep coming out or uh, if you're already part of the movement of what God is doing in this nation. And uh, But this is your first time at this prayer meeting. We welcome you. We welcome you. you. You're already beating with the same rhythm. You already have a very similar perspective. And we celebrate that because that shows that it's the spirit of God who is inspiring all of this on the earth. You know, there are people that are uh, in... I think I share with you a, um, I share with my church 
these reports of prayer meetings that take place in France, uh, in Switzerland, in, in uh, one country in Africa, and in China. Okay. Anyway, there's uh, a YWAM staff. He shared with me. Uh, he traveled to all the... Oh, Israel, Israel. I'm sorry. So eliminate one of those countries. Israel was one of them. He went to Israel and he found uh, Messianic Jews praying for North Korea. And they're just, just praying. And he said it was, he, he said he went to China to the underground church leaders network and they were praying for uh, North Korea. Um, actually, they weren't in China. They might have been in Hong Kong or somewhere. But uh, he thought that was intense. But when he went to Israel, he said that was where he heard a cry he has never heard before cry, rising up to heaven for North Korea. And so although we are few here, don't be mistaken. We're part of a greater multitude. Because this is, this is God's business. This is God's heart. And he's releasing it onto the earth. And wherever people are picking it up, he's blessing it. And he's causing them to go deep. And he's causing them to persevere. You know? God doesn't need a popular prayer meeting to bring about his purposes on the earth. I mean, he would love a lot of people to come, right? But he doesn't need to have those successful high numbers. He just needs those who do come to be fully all in, to really gain his heart and perspective. And I believe that each and every one of you here tonight, you have that commitment in your eyes. You want that heart. You want to persevere through. And that's why you're here, and that's why you want to pray. Some of you, you were dragged here not knowing what this was about. But as you hear more and more of what this is about, I hope you vibe with it. We've been running this prayer meeting uh, all the way back to 2008. So this has been going on for six years, almost six years in November. And uh, we're continuing to keep this fire burning. And uh, let me tell you, like the perspectives that we've gained, perspectives of hope in the face of nuclear threats. C Canadian embassy calling our uh, Canadian church members to come home right away in the face of North Korean nuclear threats. The perspective of hope we gain, even in the face of such threats, to be at peace and to know that all is well. To know that God is bringing about his purposes, despite whatever Satan can stir up. That was gained in the place of prayer. You can't get that through a lecture. Y'all feel me? If some things are, are taught, other things are caught. You can't gain that perspective in a lecture. You got to get it in the place of prayer. Look with me in Psalm 37. I'm going to read to from verse 1 to 29. The Psalm of David, verse 1. Fret, I'm going to read in the ESV. If you have a different version of the Bible, just follow along. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices, 
refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. For he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy. To slay those whose way is upright. Their swords shall enter their own heart. And their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. Mm. Y'all need to pay some people back. That's the way of the wicked. Don't be walking into that. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. We're going to go all the way to verse 29, all right? 25. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so, you shall, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. <clears throat> I was meditating on this chapter last week. And I saw a particular theme highlighted in this passage that I failed to see ever before. And this theme appears in verse 9, 11, 12, I mean 9, 11, 22, and 29. And it is the theme of inheriting the land everyone say inherit the land land. i got a question for you tonight do you want to inherit the land but i'm a citizen of heaven i'm just passing through all right okay holy miss miss spiritual all right you might be passing through but You're not passing through without a purpose. The land that you see on this earth. Way in the in Genesis chapter one, this was created by God. You know, you ever think about land? It's a very interesting concept. You go to any nation. Land is a very interesting concept. You know, land, land is land. Should be free, right? But if you were to try to acquire the land next door. It might cost you about a million dollars. 
depending on how many acres of it you want. In a big major city like this, you go to Hong Kong, you know, you get a land, piece of land about this size of the sanctuary and it might cost you a million dollars. You know? What? This is just land. It's free. God made it. I should be able to take it. I should be able to put, you know, apple seats in it. You know? Nope. You got to pay up one million dollars. I got the deed. Here's the deed. You know? And some people, during times of war, they will try to rip up the deeds of previous landowners and they will try to unrighteously take over that land, possess that land. And there's always fighting over land. In fact, have you ever uh, done, uh, I used to work in a law firm in New Jersey. North New Jersey has a lot of very expensive real estate. Land there is very pricey. One interesting thing about North New Jersey is there's been a lot of uh, turf wars, boundaries that have been moved unrighteously. And so when people write up their deeds, they will set the boundaries, but they may wickedly expand those boundaries into their neighbor's yard. And so when a new landowner tries to buy the property next door, what they might find is they need a lawyer to investigate because if they don't have a lawyer to investigate, they may find out that their neighbor actually expanded the borders. And when the new owner tries to come in, that guy may actually take the opportunity to say, no, this is my land. My deed says so. I have first rights over it. And a lot of people fight over that. North Jersey, it happens a lot. So you need to, you need to hire a lawyer, like pay them $2,000 just to look into that for you. You know? Uh, land is a very interesting concept. <coughs> Here's the thing about land. The wicked possess a lot of land, don't they? A lot of wicked people on the earth, and they possess a lot of land. And now there are not that many wicked people who possess the land, too. You know, you go to America, what they? they say the 1%, right? The powerful, wealthy 1%. They, you know, they possess like 95% of the wealth in America. You know, and then and the rest of the 99% has to live off of the 5 or 10%, whatever the number is, right? That 1%, it's, just, it's a small family of, of, of rich, wealthy people. And they possess land everywhere, all across America. And it's the same here in Korea. It's just a small percentage of wealthy people. You know, they own all this land. And, you know, in, in Seoul, land has run out. So they got to build upwards. Right? But if you, ever, if you ever thought about it, if you possess a property in a high rise, right? What if something happens to that high rise? What happens? You lose all your money. If that property doesn't exist, you know, and, and, the, and the landowners don't want to pay you back, I mean, they really don't have an obligation to pay you back. I mean, the laws are funky like that. You build upwards. You don't actually possess land because you got like 20 people possessing that same land. It's just going upwards. You don't actually possess any land in that sense. So you better make sure that that apartment building, nothing happens to it. And that's why, you know, when, when people are getting evicted for old buildings to get destructed, for new buildings to go up, there's always a lot of fighting going on. Anyway, my question tonight is, <coughs> do you want to inherit the land? Have you ever thought about that? I want to own some land. Have you ever had that desire? I wish I had some land. You know, people in Texas, they own a lot of land. You know, and my cousin and my, my friends, you know, they, they all have a piece of property with their name on it. And when they turn 18, they get to, you know, own up uh, and, and possess that property. They get the name, they get the, prop, the land under their name. But in a place like Asia, you don't have those kinds of things happening, right? Only just a few people possess, possess the land. Have you ever wanted to own the land? You know, 
the more um, I grow older, the more this desire grows. You know, when you're young, you're 21, you don't care. You just pay the rent. Oh, this is a beautiful house. Oh, this is a beautiful, more beautiful house. Oh, this is nicer than the place I lived in before. Oh, the rent is higher, but it's nicer. And you console yourself. And then you get married and you get older and you start thinking kids. And you start thinking, man, if I just keep paying rent like this, one day I'm going to have nothing to pass on to my children. Man, I wish I could mortgage something, get a property. Man, forget the property. I want some land. Land that I can build on, land that I can lease out and collect some, you know, rent off of that thing. You know, I don't know if you've ever, ever felt that. <coughs> but I want, I, want you to, I want you to think, just imagine, even if you never felt that, just imagine that desire to own land. Because I don't think it's necessarily a greedy or ambitious or wicked thing. I think if you really look back to the book of Genesis, it is God's mandate for us is to take dominion, subdue the land, work it, make it work for you. The land is supposed to belong to those who walk with the Lord. And one day there is coming a time where Christ is going to return. And guess who's going to get the land? The wicked 1% will not be, you know, bringing deeds before Jesus and saying, look, I got a deed here with my name on it, Jesus. Jesus is like, man, get that deed out of my face. I'm Jesus. (laughs) You know who I am? I spoke it and I I created that whole land that you're living on, you you wicked man. (laughs) I'm like, there's going to come a day when Jesus returns in the full consummation of his purposes. and And the righteous will be given stewardship. Over city and lands. If you believe in a literal millennium, I'm very interested in what you think of the literal millennium. Because some people, they theorize that the literal millennium will will involve the righteous people of God ruling over cities and nations during that thousand year reign of Christ. All right, let me come back to this passage. Do you want to inherit the land? Psalm 2.8, the voice of the Lord says, ask of me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. In other words, Jesus, the, 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 the voice of the Lord is saying here, ask of me so that you can inherit the land. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now, if you look at the context, this prophetic word is spoken to the Messiah. But the Bible says that the church, we are his body. Christ is the head. And so wherever there are words spoken to Christ in the Old Testament that have yet to be fulfilled, we got to press in to believe that the church, his body, may be called upon to be involved in the fulfillment of those things that have yet to be fulfilled. Because these words were spoken to Jesus Right? Ask of me and I will make the, the father says to the son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Just look at the context. It's talking about Jesus. It says, kiss the son lest he be angry. Like, I mean, it is talking about the end times. Very serious stuff. But uh, if you look here, I believe that not only is the father speaking to Jesus. The father is not just speaking to Jesus, but he, the father is also 
speaking this out as a calling to his people. To each and every one of you, God is asking you. He's telling you, ask of me. And I will make the nations your inheritance. So I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to inherit the land? <clears throat> you know, some of you might think, oh, no, this is a. This is, should be all completely spiritual. You know, these are just metaphors. We shouldn't be talking about physical land here, Christian. Pastor Christian, this is uh, making me uncomfortable. I, I like to just think of it spiritually. All right. But, but all right, I, I believe that too. All right. We need that. Inter- we talk about the land. Probably talking about the people in that land. We're talking about souls for Christ, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the spiritual interpretation. But you got to understand holistically, it's also going to involve the physical land. In the end times, whether it happens now, temporarily, transiently, and into the fulfillment, there's going to be a physical land involved. Because why? The promise that God gave to the Israelites involved a physical land. And I don't think God promised just the land of Canaan. I think that was just like the snippet of what God had on his heart. It's for the entire earth. For the glory of the Lord... To cover the entire earth as the waters of the seas. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters of the seas. God called his people to possess the land of Canaan. But God is also calling his people to possess the earth. Ask me, I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. I'm speaking to eschatological visions right now. But I want... I don't want you to speculate too much because we don't know what it's going to look like. But speculate enough to know that God's desire is for his people is to take the promised land. And in the bigger picture, to take the promised earth. The restoration of all things. That which God created and gave to his people, the enemy stole away. But God is now restoring back to his people. In that plan and in the unfolding of that plan, <clears throat> you have to ask yourself, do I really want this? Do I want to be involved in the future fulfillment of it? And do I want to be involved in the process of this fulfillment? Do you want to inherit the land? Now, I'm going somewhere here. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere here. Let's start with Korea. How many of you, 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 you're not Korean? You have nothing to do with Korea. You're not half Korean? Half Korean is lower your hand, right? Uh, that's like good one-third of you, you know. <coughs> you're living here in Korea. Some of you are just visiting. But if God called you to possess this land, would you want it? Have you ever asked for it? You know, God commands you, ask me. You know, if God says, ask me, he commands you that, you better ask him. <laughs> uh, he might say no, but you better ask him. <laughs> you know, ask me. Lord, <coughs> will you give me Korea? Oh, wait, 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 which Korea are you talking about? South Korea or North Korea? Well, it depends on what your perspective is. What have you seen in the place of prayer? Is God taking this nation to reunification? If that's the case, then you got to pray for Korea. 
if God's going to keep permanently this land divided, then you got to choose one. But I am under the impression in the place of prayer for the last 10 years, as I've been praying for North Korea, the revelation that I'm receiving is that God's going to bring peace and reunification. And he's calling us as his people to possess the entire peninsula. To ask for this land, this nation as an inheritance. Do you want it? Well, I'm not Korean. All right. Maybe you're here just for one year. Maybe you're here just for three years. But during those three years, would you be all in for the purposes of God? Or are you just going to be passing through? Well, I don't want to be all invested and then get all disappointed and cry my eyes out when I leave. Is that the way you want to live your life? Because while you are here, maybe you only plan to stay here one year. But that one year has now turned into ten. <laughs> True story. When I came to Korea in 2005, I only planned to stay here for two years. I had an assignment with Campus Crusade for Christ. I was on full-time staff with this college ministry from America. Uh, I was planning to stay here for two years. 2005. Today is 2014. <laughs> All right. Nine years have passed. I'm married. You know, I always thought that, you know, I'll be thinking of getting a mortgage in some, you know, in America, you know, in New York City somewhere, you know. But now I'm not like, I'm like wanting to, you know, possess land here in Korea because I'm like, I'm, I need to, I need to just get some land because I'm going to be here around for a while. Lord, I don't want to just be a tenant all my life. You know, you will be the head and not the tail. If you're walking in the commands of God, you will lend and not borrow. I don't want to be borrowing all the time. I want to lend. I want to be a blessing. I don't want to be a burden. (laughs) Do you want to inherit the land? Well, who will inherit the land? This passage gives us a very interesting theme. Verse 9, 11, 22, 29 points out. Who will inherit the land? Verse 9. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 22. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. And verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land. And dwell upon it forever. Let me break these down for you. Number one. Who will inherit the land? Those who wait for the Lord. You know, if you want to inherit the land, you can't be impatient. You got to be a person who's willing to stay in the place of faith. Not not be moved by what you see in the natural. But only moved by the voice of the Lord. Only moved by the promises of God. If you don't know how to wait for the Lord, you are not going to inherit the land. You're just going to move on to something else. You're going to live this fickle life. That's not going to have anything to show for it. <clears throat> if you can't persevere <coughs> through trial and suffering, you won't be able to inherit the land. If you're looking for a quick fix, you probably won't inherit the land. Because it is only those who wait for the Lord. You must be able to wait for the Lord If you are to inherit the land. You see our God is a God who is never anxious. He never feels like he is late. He doesn't feel like I got to rush to my next assignment. 
No, like what God does, he does out of his good pleasure. And what he purposes, he accomplishes in his timing. Even when the stubbornness of his people frustrate his will, he is still able to raise up those who will obey him. Those who will fulfill his purposes. So although God's purposes and plans may seemingly delay, we got to be willing to wait for the Lord. So let me tell you my true story. When I was in 2003 in, in New York City, uh, I got punched, I got called upon by my uh, college ministry director to lead a missions trip. <coughs> now, up until this point, I had been to 98, 99, 2000, 2001, I've been to five mission trips, and all of them were to one country in Central Asia called Kazakhstan. Anybody been to Kazakhstan? All right, just UNESCO. All right. <coughs> my, uh, one of my full-time staff. <coughs> so I've been to Kazakhstan about <coughs> five times. Actually, maybe six. But in 2003, I got asked to lead a different kind of missions trip. And, and so uh, I knew it was a mission trip that I would lead in 2004. So I started preparing for it in 2003. And it was a missions trip to the borders of North Korea. So it was the secret, covert, you know, vision trip through, the, through China. And we'll meet with some, you know, North Korean refugees that have escaped out in secret and meet some soldiers at the border. And, you know, it was like this, like, really dangerous. And I think Mission Impossible had just been released around that time. So we're like, yeah, this is awesome. This is cool. You know, let's go. 007 for Jesus. And so <coughs> we took about a dozen students. In preparing for this trip, up until this point, North Korea was at a distance. I, I was watching the news, heard about the famine, heard about the flooding, but I kept it at a distance, you know? Because my view, caricature of North Koreans were they're all brainwashed. They're all just robots and lemmings. Deceived by Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. They just, they, you know, and, and they just, the regime just needs to collapse right away because there's just, we just need to get rid of this, you know, you know, we just need to unbrainwash these people. And I just, I just, and they were just nuclear threats all the time, you know. So I just, I just kept them at a distance. But when I started preparing for this missions trip, God just broke me. I mean, I did not know what was happening in North Korea up until this point. And so I started reading books. One of the first books I read was The Aquariums of Pyongyang. I think it's written by a French author. He's a biographer. And so he took the account of one of these North Korean prison, concentration camp prisoners who escaped out. And this French uh, author interviewed him. And he wrote an entire book about his life in this concentration camp. If you ever read this book, man, it is vivid descriptions of what actually happens in there. It's terrible. Crazy. And then there were more defectors that were coming out and they were sketching little, little you know, scratch drawings of the torture, the torment, the horrors that are going on, going on inside these concentration camps. How even some people were resorting toward cannibalism, you know, uh, not only in the prison camp, but outside these prison camps in these very far off villages where they weren't getting distribution of food. They were, they were selling human meat, you know, on their markets. Very horrible stuff, right? And then uh, there was a mo movie called Soul Train that was released around that time. And uh, it was a little bit later, but 
<coughs> one of my good friends who I, I joyfully helped to uh, sow into in the process of her coming to Christ. Uh, she's now the president of Liberty in North Korea. Uh, she was involved with a lot of this work as well. And, uh, and so it came to my awareness. And in 2003, I just broke. And I made a trip down to Washington, D.C. for like this North Korean human rights um, rally. Anyone there? Was anyone actually there in Washington, D.C.? See that, man? I'm a forerunner right here. I'm, I went all by myself. All right. I thought, I thought it would be like the Millie Man like, march. I was like, yeah. Everybody knows about what's going on in North Korea. It's going to be huge. At least 900 people. <laughs> I thought it would be huge, right? I went down to North Korea um, Human Rights Rally. And it was like literally like 90 people. And when I saw that, my heart broke again. My heart broke not only for North Korea now. My heart broke. Why is no one aware of what's going on in North Korea? And that got me praying. Lord, this is injustice. The silence of the nations. This is injustice. We talk about, you know, we go to the, uh, um, the Holocaust Museum. And we talk about how atrocious it was that the nations of that time were silent. While millions of Jews were being exterminated over many, many years. With their full awareness, they still did not intervene. Let's not let history repeat ourselves. So we create these, you know, Holocaust museums and we go and we look at, you know, the pictures of the, uh, you know, bodies piled up in these uh, Auschwitz and these concentration camps and go, never again, never again. We have internet now, never again. Right? But it was happening right underneath our nose. And, of course, there's not much we can do about it, but how come no one's aware of it? So in 2003, uh, I started praying, and I just started breaking. 2004, I led a, a trip into the country. 2005, I led another team into the country, and I met these North Koreans. And I heard from the local missionaries that, like, 95%, 95 to 99% of all North Korean refugees that they help, many of them, within one year, they receive Christ. They're so impoverished of any kind of hope or light or truth that when they hear the gospel, they respond right away. Now, of course, it's a different story how they walk out their faith, but many of them receive Christ. They become Christians. And uh, just meeting with them, my heart broke even more. <coughs> so in 2003 to 2005, I'm just praying for North Korea. And 2005, the doors opened for me to move to South Korea. So I was like, all right, God sent me to South Korea for two years. And during those two years, I'm going to pray a whole lot harder. With, uh, and I'm going to mobilize a few more people. And we're going to pray. And by the time it's time for, for me to come back to New York in 2007, North Korea is going to be free. <laughs> no, that's what I thought. For real, like. <clears throat> I came to Korea in 2005. Heard about a North Korea prayer meeting. You know, something like this. I was like, all right, let's go, right? There's got to be at least 90 people, right? <coughs> I go, and there was like five people. It used to be hosted in Samgakji uh, by this uh, famous guy. He was, he was on the cover of Time Asia magazine. Um, was known as a Christian leader. Later, some people found out he was actually part of a cult, and they, were, they questioned whether he was actually, you know, bona fide Christian or not. Um, I used to go to his prayer meetings just because that was the only North Korea prayer meeting at that time. 
And, you know, this guy, he had done work, like, helping refugees across uh, the Underground Railroad to bring North Koreans to freedom. And we would hear his testimonies. I would go, like, on these Tuesday nights in his tiny little storefront <coughs> with five or six people. And there was always different people coming through. And they would have these fascinating stories about how they helped all these refugees across the border, helped them through the Thailand embassy and all these things. And I was like, wow. And, you know, and we'd pray. But when I would pray, like, nobody was praying at this prayer meeting. They just wanted to talk. You know, it would be like 30 seconds of prayer, and they'd be like, I got something else to share. And it'd be like 20 more minutes of sharing, and then, all right, let's pray. You know, and then be like 30 seconds of prayer, and then, all right, 20 minutes of more talking. So I was like, man, for a prayer meeting, there's not much prayer going on here. And so that birthed in my heart, this desire, Lord, I want there to be a prayer meeting where the focus is on reunification, where the focus is on gating your heart for the North Korea situation. So what happened in 2008, I got asked to be the pastor of an English ministry here in Shilim, here in this building, here in this room. Uh, <coughs> it was called JSCM, <coughs> Jairsung English Ministry. <coughs> and after I took over, one of the things that was burning in my heart was to regularly pray for North Korea. But when I try to make it a new Philly thing, like uh, just a local church thing here, I felt like God was rebuking me. And I felt like God was saying, no, my heart's much bigger. I need, I want more people. I want you to open up to English ministry people from all the churches to gather and to pray. We need everybody to gain this perspective and everybody to labor together. And so that's how the joint prayer meeting got started. It's one of the narratives of how the joint prayer meeting got started. And got started in uh, October 2008 or November 2008. <laughs> we got it fired up. And it was powerful. Just Holy Spirit will just be poured out. That was 2008. It's 2014. And North Korea is still not free. What is going on? In the natural, you might be discouraged. Because if you count 2003, I've been doing this for 11 years. I've been praying for 11 years. God, where are the results? Why is North Korea still not free? Why are the concentration camps expanding this year? But you cannot be moved by just what you see in the natural. You must be moved only by the voice of the Lord. And what I hear the voice of the Lord is saying, I'm working. I'm working. They might be expanding. They might think they're, they got all these plans, but those plans are not going to prosper. Because you're praying, because the people of God are praying, and all over the world nations, the people are praying for North Korea. All right, there will come changes. There are already changes. My glory will shine in North Korea. <clears throat> Waiting for the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. You see, there are a lot of people that came in and out of Korea for the last 11 years. You know? But some of them, they, they went all in for a season. But then when they found out, oh, it's taking too long, they peaced out. But it's only those who wait for the Lord. And, you know, you can, you can move back to America, but you can still get, have the same heart. You know, you can, start your own, you, can, you can start your own joint prayer meeting in your college campus, in the city that you go to. You know, you don't need a lot of people. You know, just gather, you know, <coughs> whoever you can find, some cousins, some 12-year-olds, whoever's willing to come. And you pray, you pray for North Korea, you know. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. This waiting theme, what's interesting is, is repeated in verse 34 of this chapter. Verse 34 says, 
Wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Very interesting. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land, but those who continue to wait for the Lord and keep his way, God's going to exalt you to inherit the land. I mean, that's like, you know, you get to inherit the land and enjoy some glory. And of course, all glory goes to God. But, you know, God's not insecure. He likes to put his glory on his people. If you've never heard that before, you should read the Bible. Those who he predestined, he justified. I mean, he called, and then he, those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. God does put his glory upon his people, Isaiah 60. You know, behold, arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, <coughs> waiting is an important theme to inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Number two, verse 11. It is the meek who will inherit the land. <coughs> the meek who will inherit the land. And what's interesting is with each of these points, there's a, there's a contrast. If you look at the verses surrounding it, it's always the meek and then the wicked. There are those who wait for the Lord, and then there's the evildoers, you know? There's, there's a contrast here, but I want to just focus on uh, verse 11 here, the meek. It is not the arrogant, the boastful, the ostentatious, the covetous who will inherit the land. It is the meek, those who are humble and know who they are. You know, in the, in the church, we sometimes mistaken modesty for meekness. Let's say the, it's the modest. Oh, oh, okay, all right. It's not the modest who will inherit the land. It's the meek. You know? <laughs> There's a difference. You know, modesty is this kind of behavioral meekness. It's appearance of humility. It's acting, you know? Oh, oh, modesty. Oh, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's not, it's like an outside in thing. Meekness is from deep inside where you face certain situations, but you're not moved because you're a person who is humble and meek. You don't have to rush to defend yourself. You don't have to panic when things start falling apart. When you get threatened, you stay in the place of peace. It's the meek. <clears throat> the world thinks that the first to yield is the, often the weaker one. But in many cases, it is the weaker one who refuses to yield. It's the weaker one, the immature one, who has to have their way. But it is the strong, the meek. The ones that are strong on the inside. Meek on the outside. They are often the ones who are able to yield. They don't have to always get their way. They're able to persevere and see the, the bigger picture. It is the meek that will inherit the land. In fact, if you look in the Beatitudes, it talks about that. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Earth, earth, earth. <laughs> Not just the land, the earth. It's awesome. So as God's people, we should never look down on the meek. Meekness as a character trait is something that is to be pursued by each and every one of you. No matter what your temperament or personality uh, trait is like we all got to pursue meekness what does that mean 
you know? You know, I'm a very outspoken guy. I'm in your face guy. I could be meek. I may not be meek all the time, but I, I, you know, there are times I, I choose to be meek and I'm trying to make that a part of who I am. You know? But yeah, man, man it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Especially, especially some ignorant guy gets all up in your face, you know, and man, you just want to put him in his place, right? But anyway, you know, it's the blessed of the meek. Uh, here, from this passage, the third kinds of person that the Bible points out here is verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Those blessed by the Lord. So who are those who are blessed by the Lord? What kinds of people do the Lord put his blessing on? A good place to look is the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 to 12. There it says, blessed are blah, blah, blah. All right. So here's, some, here's the list. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the, the ones that the Lord blesses. Those who mourn. You know, right now you might be mourning, but you're going to rejoice. Those who are meek. We already mentioned that. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful. The pure in heart. You know, sometimes you think, what's the use of me pursuing purity? Why fight this pornography addiction? Oh, well, if you want to walk in the full blessing of God, you, it's worth keep fighting for you got to fight for purity because it's the pure in heart that will see God. You want to see God's glory. You want to see God move clearly in your life. you got to have a heart of purity. you got to pursue it. And by God's grace, you can and you will. It is the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Those who are persecuted. Those who are reviled and falsely accused for righteousness sake. All of these is <coughs> a list of people that have the blessing of God on their life. You know, and, and the world's tendency is when they get persecuted, they feel cursed. Oh, my coworkers, they persecuted me again. Why is my life so miserable? God, I hate my life. <laughs> but if you, you know, the scripture says, hey, you are blessed. Just keep enduring it. You will surely not lose your reward. You're blessed. Number four. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land. The righteous. Who is the righteous? <coughs> the scriptures say in the Psalms and in Romans 3.10 that there is no one righteous. No, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. <coughs> so if you take that verse and you isolate it, <coughs> you come up with bad theology. Okay. Yes, there is no one who is righteous, no one who understands, no one who seeks God when left up to their own devices. But God does not leave the men of the earth just to their own devices. He is a God who pursues. He is a God who predestines. He is a God who chooses and puts his love upon people, puts his grace upon people. <clears throat> so one thing I want you to get tonight is. Righteous does not equal perfection. Oh, I can't call myself righteous. Oh, I'm not a righteous. Oh, Lord, I'm such a wicked man. I'm such a, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a sinner. I'm such a sinner. And that becomes your mantra. Because you equate being righteous with perfection. That's not biblical. The biblical way that the saints use the word righteous 
is all throughout the Old Testament, you will notice that Old Testament saints refer to themselves and to each other as the righteous. They identify themselves as the righteous. Even those who were acutely aware of their sin, like King David, the adulterer. Yes, he's a man after God's heart, but he was an adulterer. Bathsheba, murderer, premeditated Uriah's death. Surely he cannot call himself righteous, but he does in the first Psalm. (laughs) For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He's contrasting his life to those who are hotly pursuing him. The Lord's going to watch over my way. I'm a righteous man, but the wicked, y'all going to perish. Punks. (laughs) Right? The righteous. Uh, Proverbs 24, 16 says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. If the righteous means perfection, how can a perfect man fall? But because righteous does not mean perfection. Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the, the violence overwhelms the wealth of the wicked. So the Old Testament has a pattern of referring to the saints and themselves As righteous, those who have faith in God, in the God of Yahweh, they refer to themselves as righteous. Now, is this okay to do? (coughs) We'll go to Romans 3. If you ever go to Romans 3, I'll read it for you. If you read the latter part of that chapter, after it says, no one is righteous, not even one, no one who understands, right? Keep reading in verse 21. It says, but now, but now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So yes, there's no one righteous. But yes, you are righteous. Romans 5.19 For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Come on. We are made righteous. Everyone say, I have been made righteous. I have been made righteous through faith. Through faith in Christ, you have been made righteous. So therefore, I am righteous. Say that. Therefore, I am righteous. I am a righteous one. All right, so wherever you see the word righteous appear in the Old Testament, promises, prophecies, you start identifying yourself there because that's you. That's you. Without Christ, no one is made righteous before God, period. But through faith in him, we are made righteous. We are given a new identity. <coughs> Galatians 3.11 says the righteous will live by faith. So Hebrews 11.4 talks about how because of Abel's faith, he was commended as a righteous man. Like, we don't know much about Abel's life other than he brought like this nice offering to God, right? But because he brought that offering by faith, the Bible commends Abel as a righteous man. James 2.25 says, Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous for behaving in faith by hiding the Israelite spies. Now, you want to talk about immorality, a prostitute? How can you call a prostitute righteous 
Well, the Bible does that. Why? Because it is through faith you are made righteous. Not through your perfect record. Not through your good works. It's through faith. And this prostitute named Rahab, she had faith. And so she, the Bible commends her as righteous, even in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? So what am I trying to say? <clears throat> who will inherit the land? It is those who wait for the Lord. It is those who walk in meekness. Those who walk in his blessing. And those who see themselves as his righteous ones. Those who live by faith, because the righteous shall live by faith. Do you want to inherit the land? I'm not just talking about North Korea, but if Korea is indeed reunified, do you want to see the glory of God shining throughout this entire land? Perhaps you have another nation on your heart. You know, and you know, and I think when it comes to um, asking me and I'll make the nations inheritance, I don't think God is like, all right, just asking me any nation you want. All right, Russian roulette, roll the dice. All right, whatever you get, I'll give it to you. Just ask me and I'll give it to you. No, I think I think it's not random. <clears throat> God wants us to ask for the land he leads us to. And perhaps a year ago, you didn't even know where Korea was. You didn't know what kimchi was. You know, or perhaps your only exposure to Korea was Korean dramas. And you're this white person living in this Korean drama all the time because, you know, or, you know, because you're always watching Korean dramas because they're just so entertaining, you know, and, and, and you just, wow, you know, that's the kind of Korean guy I want to marry, you know. <laughs> that's really bizarre, but all over uh, Europe and America, there's this um, really obsession with Korean men. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these... Europeans and Americans think that Korean men are a certain way. Unfortunately, what they don't know is what they see on TV is very, very rare to find in Korea. <laughs> very, very rare. But, you know, they don't know that. So if you're a Korean guy, you know, you can easily, right? Hey, that's me. You see that? It's me. You know, you behave a little bit, you know, you, you know, do a little arm rustle, whatever, and they're fully convinced. <coughs> Perhaps a year ago, you, don't know, you didn't even know where Korea was. But now you're here. And every time we talk about North Korea, you cry. Or when you're worshiping the Lord, you just keep envisioning North Korean or orphans. Or even South Korean orphans. Because you know how many of these South Korean orphans, once they graduate from high school, they have no future here. Because of the, the Confucian system is so ruthless, you don't have a bloodline. The only jobs you can take... Are these low-income jobs or in prostitution and human trafficking? You, know, you ever wonder why there's such a huge supply of Korean women in the human trafficking business in Korea? And how there's such a huge supply all over America, San Francisco, Boston. You know, there's always uh, these police departments that are cracking down on these you know, massage parlors and Korean you know, brothels all over America. Well, you ever wonder why there's such a huge supply? You know, not all those women are deceived into, into doing the, taking those jobs. It's because a, a lot of those girls, they are, they're from the orphanages. And when they graduate, the, the government just throws them a little check. Here's a couple thousand dollars. Good luck. And even if they make it there through college somehow, you know, when they graduate from college, they apply for a job at LG, Samsung, you know, these dream jobs. They can't get it. 
Why? Because they trace their family lineage and you don't have one. You know, you, you grew up in the orphanage. Forget it. You know, you don't even get you don't get the interview. You don't even get the interview. You know, when you worship the, the, these images of these hopeless kids come into your mind. You know, in America, it's amazing. You're an orphan in America. Man, you can do anything. You can start Apple computers. You know, Steve Jobs was an orphan. Got adopted. And he changed the whole world. <coughs> you know, I, I think like, wasn't Einstein like adopted too? And there's like a bunch of adoptees in America. Man, it's amazing. But in Korea, man, you ain't never going to find an adoptee doing anything with their life because this system here is just ruthless. Ruthless. Don't you want to see that system changed? Would you, would, you, would, would you like to ask the Lord for this land as your inheritance to see the righteous come into positions of leadership, to bring changes in systems and structures, to bring changes in the Korean church? You know, if there's changes in the Korean church, Korean society will change. If there is proper, spirit-filled, biblical discipleship happening in the Korean churches, come on, the Korean churches are filled, right? Largest church in the world. Let's go see it. Ticket, 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 ticket. Oh, you're the full gospel. So big. People lined up two hours before the service every single week. So impressive, right? Well, if all these churches are filled, these are these huge mega churches in Seoul. Why is these people who live in society, why do their lives not look different than the Buddhists and the atheists? Now, I'm not. I'm not saying like all of Korean discipleship is like like completely off, right? The Korean church has a lot of like wonderful things, like the prayer movement, like the missions movement. You know, Koreans are like the obedient son, you know, servant-hearted, willing to go and be late and to and to and to pay the price and and to go go go. Very production-oriented, you know. <clears throat> but I believe that God wants to renew and improve. And to bring a new day for the Korean church. And as the Korean society is discipled, as the Korean church is discipled, well, Korean society is going to get discipled differently. And there are going to be changes. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> let's take this time. Let's pray. Let's take this time and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. <coughs> this is not some pipe dream that's far off. This is going to be fulfilled. Jesus is going to fulfill this. And he wants to fulfill it through his people as well. But he's going to fulfill it to the fullest. And I believe that God is calling us tonight to really ask of him. You know, and when, he, when you ask of him for the nations, the thing about God is he'll start to ask of you, all right, I'll give you those nations. I'll give you this land. But can I ask of you something? <gasps> Lord, I, I didn't know you were going to ask me something back. Can I ask of you for your youth? Are you willing to spend all of your 20s just working 
what looks like a dead end job, but sowing in and investing prayers, discipleship into a land that you feel very little connection to. You ask of the Lord for the nations, <laughs> and He asks of you, What are you willing to pay? Are you willing to walk in my ways? Are you willing to pray and then to wait? Are you willing to wait 12 years, 11 years of prayer? <clears throat> and maybe not see much change in the natural, but trust that in the spirit, everything is changing. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. I want to encourage you right now. I just want you to dialogue with God. Just talk to Him. And talk to Him about the nations. Talk to Him about the land. Whatever land that God is highlighting for you. Perhaps you have a big burning heart for your college campus. Perhaps it's for America. Perhaps it's for Paris. Perhaps it's for whatever the Lord has highlighted. I want you to press in and ask him for the nations as your inheritance. And I believe that God will begin to move in ways in your life that you never imagined for yourself. Let's pray.